Good evening. You guys ready for this? Okay, if you can turn to John chapter 11, that's where we're going to be tonight. Um, I know we just got done celebrating Easter, um, and so I'm actually going to kind of jump off of the whole idea in the last I am statement of Jesus that we're going to cover this semester, and um, so we're going to rewind a little bit. Um, I, I was born in 1983, um, which makes me really old. I'm going to be 39 this year, which kind of gives me like the goosebumps, because it's like, Ugh, that's like one year and I'm 40. Um, I'm going to have like a huge midlife crisis, I'm sure. Because 30 was hard for me. When I turned 30, I had a really difficult time with it. And my wife made fun of me the entire uh, day. But I was just like having a really hard time with 30. So no, I'm going to have time with 40. But we're going to rewind. So I'm going to date myself a little bit. Um, have any of y'all ever um, watched a movie on a VHS tape? Yes? Okay, awesome. All right. So I remember when I was younger, of course, that's all we had. So we would watch VHSs all the time. We had a VHS player in our house, and that's where we would do family movies. We would go to a thing called Blockbuster and rent VHSs, and that's what we would watch, right? And so whenever you got to a place where you wanted to go back to the beginning of the movie, there was no, like, streaming where you could just do it all on the remote. Like, you had to go up and push the button or, like, toggle the switch, and it would actually physically rewind the little rails um, and go all the way back, and you could watch the video, kind of like you can on like YouTube or Netflix, where you can just like scrub all the way back, you know? So I want us to envision that because we just were at Sunday when we celebrated Easter. We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, right? He came out of the tomb three days later. So we're going to rewind to back when Jesus was doing ministry on the earth, okay? So John chapter 11 is where we're going to be. And this last I am statement of Jesus, where we see him make the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. And so, again, seeing how as we've come through Easter, we already know what kind of monumental statement this was for Jesus, right? But you have to remember that this is well before Jesus is crucified, well before he is in a grave for three days, and then well before he has risen from the dead, okay? In this moment, he says in this interchange, um, when he goes back to handle a situation that has happened with one of his dearest friends, Lazarus, and he makes the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. And so that's what I want to dig into tonight. Um, and we're going to kind of fly through this a little bit at the beginning. And then I want to land towards the end because I think there's two very big points towards the end that we need to hone in on. Um, but we need the context of the story at the very beginning. Okay, so starting in verse one. All right, here's where we go. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, for it is the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it, being through the sickness, the illness. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So... When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So let's talk through this, okay? So Lazarus was the brother of Mary. Mary was the woman who anointed the feet of Jesus back um, and will be in John chapter 12 with the expensive um, perfume and wiped it off with her hair. Um, it was her brother, Lazarus, who had fallen sick with this illness. We don't know what the illness was. We just know that he was sick. So the first thing that the sisters did, the first thing that 
Mary and Martha did was send someone to go reach out to Jesus. Now, they were familiar with Jesus. They loved Jesus. Jesus loved them. So there's a context here that exists. There's a trust that exists between these two people, this family as well as Jesus. So the first thing that they do is they don't send for a doctor. They don't send for someone who can do witchcraft or sorcery or whatever. They send to Jesus to have him come and help in the illness. That's their first reaction. Well, Jesus's first reaction to the news of his illness was to say that this illness wouldn't lead to death. But then he makes the statement. He says the sickness was to bring glory to God in some way. Now this, if you know the story, you know what's going to happen. And so you know how this plays out. But in the moment when Jesus says this to those surrounding him and the messenger who had come, they're probably all like, okay, like kind of one of those statements where you just pass on by, like you kind of just jump over it because you don't really understand it and you just move forward because trying to understand it would mean going back. And Jesus probably said it very confidently. And so you don't want to seem like you don't understand what the savior of the world is saying. So you just kind of go past it, right? But Jesus was making a statement knowing what was coming. When Jesus said it, he knew what he was talking about, but no one around him did. And when Jesus heard the news, he stayed an extra two whole days in the place where he was. So Jesus being confident, not only in his statement, but also knowing that what was going to happen in the end would bring glory to God the Father, knew that he could stay and keep doing ministry right where he was. And so he did. So then we pick up in verse 14. It says, then, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So now the sickness has turned into death, right? Lazarus has passed away. The sickness obviously was something more and he has passed and he's dead. But Jesus again makes a statement that probably a lot of people around him have no idea what he's saying. But he says, for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So now let us travel and go see the family and go visit Lazarus and see what is happening. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So you have this brief inter interchange between Martha and Jesus. So Lazarus has died. He's been in the tomb for four days at this point. And Martha knew that if only Jesus would have come right when he had heard, he would have been able to heal Lazarus. And they wouldn't be in this situation. He wouldn't have been in the tomb for this many days. He wouldn't have died. The illness would have stopped. It would have ended right away. He would have had a very quick and easy healing of someone who was sick. A very plain, a very normal, a very consistent story of healing according to Jesus's way of life, right? Being the very son of God. 
Countless times we see him heal people. We see him um, heal from blindness. We see him heal from demons. We see him heal from um, all the things. And he does this through an act of a miracle. And so she says, if only you would have come when we first sent for you, you would have been able to, or we would have been able to avoid all of this. And Lazarus would still be alive. But what I think we miss in here is that this didn't mean that Jesus still could, still could heal him, right? You see, Martha jumps to the very fact that Lazarus is dead, almost negating the fact that Jesus can still work. Almost jumping past that fact. And she does go in because she kind of catches herself. And she says, but even you, if you ask from God, God will give you. So even hinting at the fact that if Jesus, if you just take your request to God, because you are his son and you're the perfect son of God, if you were just to ask him, then God will give you the power through which then you can hopefully raise Lazarus from the dead. So it's almost like she's tossing out an idea, but not really verbalizing exactly what she wants. And Jesus' answer to her is, hey, he will rise again. And Martha, jumping to the very end of time, says, yes, I know in the last days when the resurrection happens, I understand that he will rise again. If we are believers, if we believe in Jesus, our personal Lord and Savior, we've surrendered our life to him, yes, we're all going to have that happen. We're all going to be resurrected if we're dead. But she doesn't catch what Jesus is saying. She doesn't follow where Jesus is going. And that's why he plainly lays it out to her by saying, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen, none of this happens except through me, is what he says. You're missing the point. Yes, could Lazarus Lazarus still be alive? Absolutely. But it wouldn't have brought glory like what is about to happen. It's not going to change people's lives like what I'm about to do. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. That if someone were to believe in Jesus, they would live forever. There would be no death. They shall never die. Why? Because Jesus is the source of life. If you remember several weeks ago, what did we talk about? Jesus is the bread of life. It was the first I am statement that we talked about, right? He's saying that I am the source of life. It's not about this bread that I just multiplied amongst all these people and now we have all these baskets of fish and bread left over. It's not about that work. It's about the fact that I am the one who's offering you eternal life. I am the sustainer of life. And now in this moment, he's not only saying I am the life, but I am the resurrection. I am the one who can do all things. He's the only one to know resurrection under his own power, Jesus. So then if we fast forward a little bit, it says, Then Jesus, verse 38, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said, So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. So again, we see Jesus deeply moved, right? He loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loves them deeply. He feels for them deeply, and this is a moment Because before this, we see the very short passage of Jesus wept, right? If anybody can memorize scripture, you can memorize that verse. It's two words, Jesus wept. 
But in that two words, and in this sentence too, in verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, we see both how Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's deeply moved. He wept. He had human emotions. He had human connections. He had human relationships. Where even though Jesus knew what was about to happen, he knew what he was going to do. He knew what was going to happen to Lazarus. He still wept in that moment and he was still deeply moved. Why? Because he was both human, fully, and fully God. He had the emotion. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced close loss in your life. I know for us, and I don't know if I've shared this before, but um, several months ago, back at the beginning of February, we lost somebody on our staff team in our student ministry at Prestonwood. And it was incredibly difficult. It was somebody who was very dear and near to my heart. I worked with her every single day, and it was very sudden, very unexpected. None of us saw it coming, but it was what happened. And I was actually talking to a friend on the drive up who um, I haven't talked to in a while. And we were, he asked me about this experience. And I was just kind of reliving some of those moments with him and sharing how much of a loss that was and how much I truly wept over this because it's the closest loss I've ever had probably in the past like 10 years of my life. And to recount that story and to recount that loss and then think about how Jesus felt even though he knew what was going to happen. He still wept and he was still deeply moved. Why? Because he had the humanity inside of him. He had still lost a very close person to him. He was watching friends and family walk through loss who were weeping as well. And so he, just like we are at times, overcome with emotions, he reacted and he wept. And because he was so deeply moved, they went to the tomb. And he says, listen, I want you to roll the stone away. I want access into the tomb. And what is Martha's first response? Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. So Martha's first reaction to Jesus saying, listen, hey, I want access to the man that is dead she gives an excuse as to why Jesus doesn't want to do that. So Martha comes at the guy who is both fully God and fully man, and she says, listen, I know you want to do this, but you don't need to do this. this, is, this is an, I'm giving you an excuse as to not, and the excuse is so lame as an odor that's going to come from the tomb. But isn't that the same thing in our own lives? How many times that when Jesus comes after us and seeks after us and calls out to us that we give him an excuse as to why we cannot follow him, as to why he cannot have access to us or to our hearts or to our plans or to our thoughts or to our actions or to whatever. We make excuses, right? I remember when I was a sophomore in high school and I first felt called into ministry and I remember the tension that existed when I felt like God was saying, I want you to be obedient and I want you to be called to full-time ministry and I want you to say yes to this. But ultimately, you're the one that has to move and you're the one that has to say yes and you're the one that has to be obedient. And I wrestled with that and I had people try to talk me out of being called to ministry. And I could come up with all the excuses. 
I would never make money. I wouldn't be able to provide for a family. I wouldn't be able to live life. I would miss out on so much. I would be limited as to how big my family could be because we couldn't survive. There all the things that would come up. I had a plan for my life, Lord. I want to be a marine biologist. I wanted to, when I was younger, be a UPS driver. Like I wanted to wear the brown uniform and drive the big brown truck. Like that's what I wanted to do. I had all the things that I had already laid out for my life and I knew what they were going to be. But God came knocking when I was a sophomore and said, that's not it. I have something more for you that I'm calling you to, but I need you to open the tomb. No matter how rancid the odor is, I need you to allow me to have access to you. And you think about that in a way of salvation. How many times we make excuses for why we can't follow after Jesus or why we can't surrender our lives to Jesus? I remember when I was in college and involved in a campus ministry much like this and talking to friends who weren't believers about why, what was keeping them from accepting Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and some of the most common things that I'm sure you guys even hear today as you're talking about Jesus on your campus I just want to live my life how I want to live it. I I just want to be free to make the decisions and the choices that I want to make without feeling bound to something or feeling guilty about something or or feeling like I am going to be judged or or I, I just want to be free. I want to have fun and I want to experience all the things that college offers. And what we're doing and saying that to Jesus to to God's holy son is we're basically saying, listen, the odor is too bad. Or maybe you've experienced people like when I was in high school, my excuse was the very opposite of that, which is I know a whole lot about Jesus. I could answer all the questions. I could ace the test. I had been in church since I grew up. I knew all the things, but I had never let all that knowledge transform my heart. I had never surrendered my life to Christ and given it over to him because I knew all the answers. And so the smell coming out of the tomb of my heart was, I got this on my own. I don't need Jesus to come and transform me. Because it's all about how much I know. It's all about how much I've done. And it's all about me. Which ultimately, all of those excuses boil down to that one point, right? It's all about me. It's all about what I want all the reasons why we shouldn't believe Jesus, all the reasons why we don't turn our lives over to Christ. But Jesus in this passage is saying, listen, I did all of these things so that you may believe that I am the very son of God sent to the earth, that I was sent to be the perfection of humanity that Adam could never be, that I was sent to live the life that Adam never did. That Jesus remained pure and perfect throughout his entire existence here on the earth and now in heaven. Then he took a stand for us on the cross, knowing what was coming to save us from all of our sin. But the story didn't stop with him being placed on the cross or even him being placed in the tomb. It continued with him being raised from the dead three days later and then sitting now at the right hand of God today. You see, Jesus saying, move the stone that covers the tomb. 
is him saying to each of us today, move the stone. I don't care how bad it smells on the inside. I don't care how gross it is. I don't care how much sin is there. Do not make excuses. Because ultimately what you need is exactly what he provided on the cross. And only he paid that. You didn't. I always tell our students, it's about what Christ did for you, not what you do for you. Because you can never do that. You can never sacrifice enough to pay the price of sin. But Jesus did. So then if we keep reading, verse 43, it says, When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So Jesus commands that the dead come walking out of the tomb. He orders the four-day-old buried man to walk out of the tomb, and the man comes walking out. But notice something. And as I was studying, this is something that jumped out at me that I haven't really ever thought of before, but notice this, that he comes walking out with his hands and feet bound and with the linen strips all around him. Now, my mind, okay, I'm a student pastor, so you have to track, track with me here, okay? My mind immediately goes to the toilet paper mummy game you play in student ministry, right? Where you get a, a roll of toilet paper, somebody holds on to it, and you spin around as fast as you can, and you wrap yourself in whoever runs out of their whole roll of toilet paper. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay, cool. Um, you were all staring at me blank-faced, so I was like, if you never played this game? Um, if not, you should. Go home tonight, get a roll of toilet paper, and just wrap yourself up, okay? That's what I imagine Lazarus was like when he came out of the tomb. Like, he's bound, his hands and feet are bound together. He's got all these linen cloths around his face. His whole face is covered. Like, I mean, he is coming out of the tomb still with all of these grave clothes all over him. His face is covered. He's still tangled up in his burial clothes. He still has sheets and coverings of death all over him. And he's still bound up in something, bound up in old bondages, old arguments, old sin. And we know what that's like too, right? It's like you're living a new life when Christ gets a hold of you and you do surrender your life to him. You're living a new life, but you seem somehow to still be in bondage to your old life. Either the past of what has been done to you or the past of what you have done. And I'll tell you that there's nothing more than Satan wants than to bring up that old baggage and to bring up those old sins and to bring up that old context of life and to bring up those old bandages and those old bindings and those old cloths to remind you of who you once were so that you go back and live in the person that you once were instead of the person that you are now. You know, we talked about previously the fact that if you don't know Christ, this is who he was and this is what he did. And he doesn't want your excuses as to why you can't believe in him and surrender your life to him. And now we're talking about something that all of us who are believers, we struggle with, right? Because Satan does that and he reminds us of it. Either the past of what has been done to you or the past of what you have done. You are being constricted by the close of death. It reminds me of the book Screwtape Letters, if any of you guys have ever read it. If you haven't, you need to. It's this incredibly insightful book about how a 
um, a demon basically is being trained up to distract Christ followers or those of yet to follow Christ away from their relationship with Jesus. And it talks about the tactics used to distract us from our relationship with Jesus. It talks about all the things that Satan does. And one of his tactics is to allow us and to force us to live in the life that we used to live in. Because if he can do that, he completely limits the power that we have in our life. Because now instead of living in the resurrection and the life, which Jesus tells us he is, we now live in the bondage to our old self. And we are now relegated to who we used to be, not who we are now in and through the very Son of God. But what I love is Jesus' last statement. He says, unbind him and let him go. So he speaks to all the people standing around and he says, listen, take this man, take all of these things off of him, unbind him and free him to go. And that's exactly what Jesus tells us every single day when we wake up. Every single moment of every single day, he tells us and looks in our hearts, looks in our souls as Christ followers and says, listen, unbind him and let him go. So every single day, these should be our words that we live by. We have been unbound by God's eternal sacrifice for us on the cross to be freed, to be able to go and do ministry in the name of Jesus. We are not bound to who we used to be, so therefore we should not hold on to our past. That's the last thing we should do. The past is the grave in which we were before Jesus came and resurrected us. The grave clothes are the things that happened to us or that we did to others. So we have to look past our past and know that Jesus, and be reminded that Jesus brought us out of the grave, just like Lazarus. We have to look to Jesus to have a resurrected life. And I know some of you all are getting to a point in the semester where it's almost the end and you can taste the summer, but you have so much to do between now and the end. So many assignments, so many tests, so many projects, so many papers, so many things, so much ministry, so much work. So, I mean, fill in the blank. Your life is busy. Can I tell you even that is how Satan wants you to live your life? Because if he can relegate you to busyness, he takes you away from, his relation, or from Jesus' relationship with you. He distracts you from the relationship that you always have to be plugged into. Now he's taken you away from the resurrection and the life and he's made you a busy, flustered, hot mess. And then he's got you right where he wants you, but that's not what Jesus says. John 5, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, this is Jesus speaking, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And then Colossians 3, the second part of verse 9 and 10, it says, Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We are renewed in the image of our creator every morning when we cry out, unbind me and let me go. Satan, you have no hold on me. You have no nothing. Let me go. Let me run. Let me run after the Savior of the world. Let me run after the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. So not only do we not hold on to our past, but we also don't hold on to our sin. We are forgiven. So whatever past 
whatever rancid smell you came from before you came to know Christ, all of that is forgiven and all of that is gone. All of that is null and void because Christ died on the cross to forgive you of that. So don't go back and live in that sin. Don't go back and relish in that sin, but move forward into your new life. Being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. You don't hold on to your past, you don't hold on to your sin, and you don't hold on to death. Because you are not characterized by death any longer. You are characterized by life. And Jesus himself said this. He said, so that you may live and that death may not be a thing for you, but only life. And why did Jesus come? So that we might have life to the fullest. Jesus has the power to free you of your constriction. I want you to think about this. This is kind of the end, my ending point. Jesus mentions this in his discourse with the the ladies, Mary and Martha. Several times he alludes to something that is coming, right? He says, hey, this is something that is coming that you won't understand, but this is all going to be for the glory of God. You see, Jesus could have showed up on time, and he could have conducted a private miracle and healed Lazarus of this illness in his home. And it would have been an awesome experience. And Lazarus wouldn't have had to walk through death and they wouldn't have had to walk through this. They would have been a lot like Mark chapter five in Jairus' daughter's experience, right? If you know that story, if you don't, Jesus is, uh, is walking, Jairus comes up to him and says, hey, I, I, my daughter is sick. I need you to come heal her. I need you to come help her. And we know the story that Jesus on the way, his cloak is touched by a woman who's been affected with bleeding for 12 years of her life. And just by touching and having enough faith to touch the very robe of Jesus, she's healed. All of it goes away. Well, that makes Jesus late getting to Jairus' house. And when they get there, he walks in, long story short, he walks in with just family and Peter and James and John, and he walks in and he brings her back to death or brings her back to life as she's passed away. Heals her. In that moment, it was a, a private moment inside of a house. Now, were there people outside? Yes. But what Jesus chooses to do and the divine story of how God is sovereign over everything, he arrives late to put on a public supernatural display, validating the fact that he's the very son of God and sparking faith in all of those who witnessed what happened. So Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what was going to happen. This wasn't a surprise. It wasn't like he walked into something he didn't know. But he walked in, brought Lazarus back from the dead. In fact, he didn't even walk in. He stood on the outside and yelled. In the midst of everyone in a public setting, they all saw Lazarus walk out of the grave. They all took part in unbinding him and letting him go. And they all saw that Jesus was the very Son of God. And in that moment, many believed in Jesus. Earlier on in our passage, Jesus asked Martha a simple question that day. Do you believe this? And that's the question I want to leave you guys with tonight. Because he asks us the same question. Do you believe this? And so going back to our two contexts of conversation, 
One is, do you believe this in the way of making Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life where you surrender your life to him? The other is that you've confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you're living in your past and you're living in this bondage and you're living in these grave clothes and you're not allowing the resurrection and the life to move you to be who he has called you to be because you just can't let it go. You just can't get it past. You just can't allow all of that to fade away. So here's what I'm wondering. Is there anybody here tonight that falls in that first category where you've never accepted Christ? You've never made him the Lord of your life. And I ask you the question, maybe tonight's the night where you need to say, yes, I believe this. And so I just wanna ask you to close your eyes and here's the deal, very quickly, if there's anybody in the room tonight that doesn't know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and you and your heart of hearts, you feel the Holy Spirit moving in you and you don't know what it is, but I'm gonna tell you it's the Holy Spirit, okay? And he's moving you to say and answer the question, do you believe this with a yes? A resounding yes tonight. I'm tired of making my own choices. I'm tired of living the free life and experiencing all the college stuff. I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what's next. What's next for you is to enter into a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum where you've grown up in church and you know all the answers and you could ace a test and you could do all the things, but you've never surrendered your life to Christ. You've never truly allowed him access into your heart. And you wanna say, yes, I believe this tonight. All I want you to do in this moment is just to simply raise your hand. I'm the only one looking around, but if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand tonight, okay? Anybody else? Here's what I want you to do. If you raise your hand, I want you just to repeat this prayer after me. And again, I'm gonna tell you, it's not about the words that you say, but it's about believing and accepting Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. It's about meaning those words in your heart of hearts. It's about letting go of all of that sin and all of that bondage and all of those grave clothes and just letting them fall away and letting Jesus, the Lord and Savior of this world, to come in and forgive you and to wipe all of that away. So in your heart, I just want you to repeat after me. Jesus, I am so thankful that you came to the earth to live a perfect life to die on the cross, to be raised again, to forgive me of my sin. And Lord, I confess tonight that I am sinful and that I need forgiveness. And tonight I wanna to ask you to come into my heart to take over control. I surrender to you. And tonight I believe that you are the Lord and Savior of my life. From this moment on, I wanna follow after you. And I want my life to glorify you in all that I say, in all that I do, and all that I think. Lord, allow me to love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and with all of my strength. Because today, I believe this. 
And with your eyes still closed, maybe you fall in that second category where you're just wrestling through carrying all of that stuff around with you all the time. You are wearing those grave clothes. You're wearing those chains that bind you. You're wearing all the things and you just can't let it go. I don't know what all of you have walked into the room with tonight, but I know that all of us need to be reminded, even having just talked about this two days ago on Easter Sunday, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. If that's you, I just want you in this moment to raise your hand as well. And maybe it means you need prayer. Hey, I need somebody to pray with me. I need somebody to pray over me that I would feel the freedom to let go of those things. Uh, maybe it's that you need accountability in your life, someone to walk through life with you, to disciple you, to acknowledge who you were created to be in Christ. that you need to let go of that sin, let go of your past, let go of death. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand where you're sitting. Okay. Anybody else? Keep your hands up. Here's what I wanna do, I wanna pray over you as we transition back into worship, but here's what I wanna ask each of you that just raise your hands to do. It's very easy to sit in a chair during the bridge and raise our hand during an invitation or raise our hand during a decision time and not do anything afterwards. It's very easy to acknowledge something with a simple act as raising our hand. But where the boldness comes in is after this moment when you feel you need to go find someone, to talk to someone, to pray with someone. So don't just settle for raising your hand, but settle for action. God has called us to be unbound and to go. He doesn't say unbind them and let him stay. He says unbind him and let him go. So you go when I say amen. And you act how you feel the Holy Spirit is moving you to act. God, we thank you for tonight, Lord. We thank you for this passage, Lord. So much that we could unpack in this one chapter of Scripture, Lord. A whole series that we could talk about. But God, I'm thankful that your word speaks to us no matter where we are in life, no matter what stage we're in, whether we know you or whether we don't know you, Lord. It is as much effective today as it was then. Lord, we know that in this room we get to celebrate tonight as someone has accepted you as their personal Lord and Savior they have been resurrected. They know new life now. They have stepped into a new life and thrown off their old life. And Lord, there is nothing more that we love to celebrate than new life and change. Lord, someone now is following you who when they entered this room tonight, they were not. Lord, there's also those in the room that need to wrestle with some things tonight that maybe they need to go seek someone to talk to, seek someone to pray with. Maybe they need to grab a friend and go out in the hallway. Maybe they need to talk through something. Maybe they need to establish accountability in their life or possibly establish discipleship in their life, someone older and wiser than they are to walk with them through what it means to follow after you, to shed off all of the past, all of the sin and the death that plagues us, Lord, to be able to follow after the one and only person who is the very Son of God, who gives us life, 
who resurrects us, who looks at us and says, I unbind you and now go. So make it clear to these students what going looks like. God, we thank you. And we ask all of this in your son's most powerful and incredible name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.